Hey church family, we're starting this new series today called Joy Inside, a study of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi while he was inside uh, prison walls, while he was living under house arrest. And Paul found joy inside the confines of imprisonment because he had joy inside his heart. Now, listen, we're not living in prison right now. It might feel like that. Um, we, we are working from home. We're doing school from home. We're doing lots of things from home. We can't go to the places where we normally would go. We're not able to meet together physically as a church, a family, but we can have joy inside lockdown, inside quarantine, because we have joy inside our hearts, the joy that Paul had. Paul had Jesus. We have Jesus. Paul had joy we can have joy. Joy is, is, is something that transcends whatever situation or circumstance we may find ourselves in. It's different from happiness. Happiness depends on what happens. Where with joy, it, it's something that happens inside of us. It's something that is not simply on the surface, on the outside. It's something that's on the inside. And so in this short little book, just four chapters, 104 verses, I mean, it's only two and a half pages in my, in my Bible, we're going to mine deep into this book to see where Paul found his joy. And uh, we're going to apply that to our lives and our present situation and circumstance. But before we dive into uh, the book of Philippians, I want to take a look at the background. So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. I just want to share with you three things under the under the heading of, of background right now. And then we'll jump into uh, the book of of. Philippians. So in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is, is really going through a difficult time. He's on his second missionary journey. The year is AD 49. And, and, and at the end of Acts chapter 15, he and his long-term friend and ministry partner Barnabas, they've had this sharp disagreement with one another. And they've decided they have irreconcilable uh, uh, differences. And they've actually decided to go in their separate ways. Just think about that. Someone who Paul had, had been with for such a long time, such a trusted friend, he's now at odds with. And so when we pick up the story in Acts chapter 16, that's in the back of Paul's mind. It says in 16 verse 1 that Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. It's crazy that he went to Lystra. Lystra was the place where they tried to stone him to death. In fact, they, they did. They stoned him. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out of, out of the city. And he goes back to that place, but it's in Lystra. This is really the only bright light. It's when he meets Timothy. It says that there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. And so in God's kindness, even though Paul had lost Barnabas because of the breakdown in their relationship, Paul now gains Timothy. Timothy would, would be there when Paul went to a Philippi. Timothy actually is a co-author of the book of Philippians, and we're introduced to him here in Acts chapter 16. But overall, this is a really confusing time for Paul. Look at verse 6. It says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they, had, when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Paul wants to go to these places. He wants to go to Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. He wants, to, he wants to go to Bithynia, this place just under the, the, the Black Sea. And, but we're not 
told how this happened, but somehow the Holy Spirit forbade him from going into these places. Paul's got to be wondering, what's going on, Lord? You took Barnabas away from me? I want to go to these places? You're not letting me go? What is going on? It's in the midst of this confusion where the clarity comes. And if you're if you're jotting things down today, under, under the heading of background, write this down. The mystery of God's providence. The mystery of God's providence. How is God working? How is he leading? Is any of this making any sense? The, the moving from place to place and having all of these doors shut. The breakdown of his relationship with, with Barnabas. We see the mystery of God's providence. Look at verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so in the midst of all of this confusion, the clarity comes, this vision comes. Paul doesn't merely trust in the vision. Notice how they all concluded that, that God had called them. Paul bounced it off. It's always wise to seek counsel. He bounced it off of the other members of his ministry team. Then look at verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We, re we remained in this city some days. Here we are introduced to the city of Philippi. It's described as a colony. It's described as a leading city. Philippi is named after Philip of Macedon, who's the father of Alexander the Great, who conquered most of the known world, North Africa, the Middle East, all the way to uh, India, the great warrior king who established the Greek uh, empire. And, and Philippi had this special status as a colony, as a Roman colony. That's because after Julius Caesar was assassinated, there was this civil war. You had Brutus and Cassius on one side, and you had, you had Octavian, who became Caesar Augustus, and, and Mark Antony on the other. There was this decisive battle where Octavian and Mark Antony defeated Brutus and Cassius. That was in, in 42 BC, and that happened at Philippi. And so this city had this special status. It wasn't in Rome, but it was considered a Roman colony. And to be considered a citizen of Philippi was like a badge of honor. That's actually a major theme in Paul's letter to, uh, to the Philippians. So they go to Philippi. They're there uh, for a couple of of days. In verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Here's this beautiful description of the first convert to the Philippian church. Her name was Lydia. She was from Thyatira. Do you know where Thyatira is? It's in Asia. Where was the place where Paul wanted to go initially? Asia. Paul wanted to reach people from Asia. He wanted to reach people from that region, that present day, that area, present day Turkey. And it seemed like God was forbidding him from doing that. No, Paul. Paul was going to reach Asian people, but he was going to reach Asian people in Macedonia. This is the mystery of God's providence. 
She was a dealer in purple cloth, which was the most expensive of clothing. So this is this young entrepreneurial woman who is selling these, uh, these goods. She is the first convert. But then the next convert shows us the diversity of God's church. So Lydia would have represented sort of the upper echelon of of society as this wealthy a merchant selling expensive clothes. But then the next convert in verse 16 was, was the polar opposite. It says in verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And so here we have this woman, this, this wealthy woman, Lydia. Then we have this slave girl who is enslaved not only physically by her owners, but spiritually by this evil spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul uh, performs an exorcism. The, the little girl is set free, but the owners freak out because they've lost their source of income now. And they, they have Paul thrown in prison. Pick up the story in verse 23, chapter 16, verse 23, that when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, if this had happened to me, I would be wondering, God, you sent me a vision to come to Macedonia so that I could go and share the gospel. And now my feet are stuck in stocks. I am cha- I can't go anywhere. I am in prison. What is your purpose? That's what I would do. That's what I would say. That's how I would pray. Look at how Paul and Silas interpret their circumstances. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. This is how they dealt with their suffering. They entrusted themselves to a faithful and a good God. And so in this introduction, we see the mystery of God's providence. We see the diversity of God's church. And then lastly, we see the supremacy of God's power. You see, as they are singing, verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The power of God, the spiritual power of God and the exorcism of the slave girl, the political power of God that the gospel cannot be chained, it cannot be held back. The power of God was so clearly seen in those early days in the church of Philippi. The jailer's suicidal. Paul and Silas lead him to Christ. We come down to verse 40, it says, So they went out of prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. The brothers, members of the family of God, sons and daughters of God. This is how the church at Philippi was established on Paul's second missionary journey. That's the background. Paul went on a third missionary journey. By the time you get to uh, Acts chapter 20, he stops by Philippi again in verses 1 to 3 before setting sail for Jerusalem, where Paul subsequently arrested. And then he gets caught in this snail-paced, sluggish legal system. And, and it's while Paul is in prison waiting for his trial that he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And so now let's turn to the book of Philippians and find uh, chapter 1. We're going to look at the first uh, eight verses uh, today. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you and for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul begins by introducing himself and Timothy. Timothy, who was there in Acts chapter 16, he, he introduces himself as a servant or a slave of Jesus. He knew that he belonged to Jesus. He was Jesus' property. He had been bought with a price. He used to be a slave to sin, and now he is a slave to this benevolent and glorious master, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He calls the members of the church, he calls them saints. We have the wrong idea about what a saint is in today's church. A saint isn't some special set-apart Christian. No, every Christian is considered a saint. A saint simply means a holy one. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and not trusting in your own righteousness or holiness, but have trusted in the righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ, then you are a saint. You are a holy one. That's the title that the New Testament most often uses to describe followers of Jesus Christ. We're called saints, holy ones. Then he refers to the overseers and the deacons. Now, I'm an overseer. The, the term here is used synonymously with pastor or with elder and overseer. They're the shepherds. They're the leaders of the church, the ones who are charged to lead and to feed the people of God. Notice that it's plural. It's, it's one local church, but there are overseers who are, who are leading. It's not meant to be done by one person. I'm not the only pastor of this church. I'm not the only elder. It's a team effort. And then there's also deacons. Deacon is a word for serving, for waiting on tables. Now, there, is, there are many times in the New Testament where this word is used to describe how all of us are supposed to serve one another. We all have gifts that we're supposed to use in service of the church. But in places like this, deacon is used to describe a special category of servants who have been set apart and commissioned to fulfill certain responsibilities. We see this happen in Acts chapter 6. We see it talked about in, in, in Paul's letter to, uh, to Timothy, this, this idea that there's this office, there's this special category called deacons. Now, we, we don't have a, this office right now as a church, but we are working towards establishing a deacons as a formal and official role in our church. You can pray for our elders as we uh, work to that end um, in, the, in the days and months uh, to come. Then he offers them grace and peace. He says, grace to you and, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Couldn't we all use some peace right now? The worry and the anxiety, the, the, the fear of the unknown, the stress. Paul wants us to experience peace, but we, we won't really get peace until we get grace. Grace comes first for a reason. We need the grace. We need to know who God is, that he loves us, that he's merciful, that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but that he 
shows unmerited favor, that he shows grace. And when we understand that about God, then we will have peace. And peace comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is equal with the Father. He said, I and the Father are one in John chapter 10. Grace and peace come not just from God the Father, but it comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Then Paul gets into uh, his his first uh, initial statements to the church. He begins uh, by make by expressing his thankfulness. If you're taking notes today, jot this down: thankful for partnership in ministry. Thankful for partnership in ministry. He says in verse three, "I thank my God in all my remembrance of you." Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. If you want to know the secret of being joyful, you need to understand thankfulness. Thankfulness is a road that leads to the destination of joy. One of the ways that I fight discouragement and discontentment and despair in my own life is a simple discipline that I've learned that every day I try to write down 10 things that I can thank God for. And I try to discipline my mind to not always write down the same things. I mean, I've got an amazing wife and four incredible kids. That would be half the list every single day. But to discipline myself, to be scanning the horizon of my life, to be looking for things that I am thankful for, training my mind in the art of thankfulness to God. And Paul here is showing how thankful he is for their partnership, the partnership that he shares with the church at Philippi. The word there is koinonia. It's translated in other places, fellowship. It's this idea of sharing together. Paul knows that the gospel doesn't just belong to him. It it belongs to everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You see, the Christian life was never meant to be led in isolation. Paul was the one who saw the vision to go to Macedonia, but he consulted with the other ministry team, and they concluded together to get on a boat to travel there. It wasn't just Paul operating on his own. Too often in the Christian life, we make decisions on our own. We try to pursue holiness and sanctification on our own. That was never how it was meant to be. It's supposed to happen in fellowship. And, And this involves all areas of our Lives partnering together. There was a, a financial partnership that the Church of Philippi had with Paul. There was a relational fellowship. There was a, a, a prayer fellowship. There was a teaching fellowship. They shared these things uh, together. We need one another as fellow Christians. We are to share with one another, to have fellowship with one another. So Hope Church Mississauga, as our church family, I want you to know that I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your partnership, for the fellowship that we have together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And my thankfulness and my joy goes beyond just our church. Paul says in verse 5, from from the first day until now, when I I think back to the the faithful, godly people at Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago that 
poured into me and to many others. When I, when I think about Hope Bible Church Oakville and the role that they've played in my life and in the lives of, of so many in our church, even to this day, when I, when I think about how we've had the privilege of planning Hope Church Toronto North in partnership with Oakville and Newmarket and Markham and Niagara and, and Brantford and, and Toronto West, these, these gospel partnerships, we're sharing in this work together. It's such a beautiful thing. It fills my heart with thankfulness. It fills me with joy, just like it did Paul. I hope it does for you too. I hope that you are thanking God for the fellowship that you share with other believers. Yeah, it certainly feels and looks different right now in this season. And it was different for Paul when he was writing from prison and, and all of these miles away were these brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi, but he was still sharing it with them. He was still thankful. He was still filled with joy. So thankful for partnership and ministry. Then secondly, confident about growth and maturity. Confident about growth and maturity. In verse six, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm sure of this. The King James and other translations say, I am confident of this. And his confidence doesn't lie in the hard work that he did back in Acts chapter 16. His confidence doesn't lie in the, the character of the people of Philippi. No, his, confident, his confidence is in God. He says, I am sure of this. He who began a good work. Who began the good work at Philippi? Sure, it wasn't Paul. Paul wanted to begin a work in Bithynia and Asia. God began the work in Philippi. Who opened Lydia's heart? Did Lydia open her own heart? No, it says God opened Lydia's heart. The work was began by God and the work will be completed by God. You might be stumbling forward in your relationship with Christ. You might be wondering, am I really growing? Am I really maturing? What is really happening? Why is it taking so long? Why is it so hard? Why aren't I seeing the progress? You need to understand, listen, you didn't start it and you're not gonna finish it. It is God who started the work in you, and he is the one who will bring it to completion. We can have confidence that maturity is happening and will happening, not because of us, but because of the God who started it. So you know what? I'm so thankful God is not like me. You know, just even uh, during this pandemic season, there's some projects that I thought I would uh, that I would start uh, around our backyard. There's some painting uh, inside that I've started. You know, I did the sanding, I did the prep work, and then day after day, I still haven't gotten the job done. I have not carried it to completion. God is not like Ted Duncan. Amen. Hallelujah. God is not like me. He is not like you. He finishes what he starts. He has started a good work in my heart. He started a good work in your heart and nothing is going to stop that. He will carry it to completion. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Are you living like that? Jumping ahead to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. We have our job. We're supposed to work out on the outside. 
as God is working in on the inside. The work of maturity is us working in partnership with God. As he works in us, we work out our salvation. Are you pursuing maturity? Uh, Because confidence that God will grow us will result in us participating and actively pursuing that growth in spiritual disciplines, in prayer, and in reading God's word. Are you actively engaged in the, in the work of maturity that God has called you to do? He's doing his part. He will carry it to completion. Will you join with him until, it says, until the day of Christ Jesus? Paul always had this in mind, this this eschatological hope that Jesus is coming back, that he will appear in the clouds riding on a white horse, glorious and victorious. And Paul's aim was that he would be ready and that the followers of Jesus Christ would be ready. Loved ones, he's closer than ever. Will you be ready? Will, will you pursue maturity so that you are ready for Christ when he comes to return for his bride? Thankful for partnership and ministry. Confident about growth and maturity. And then thirdly, yearning to be in closer proximity. Yearning to be in closer proximity. Man, I can identify with this right now. I, I wish I was not standing in an empty living room talking to my iPhone right now. I wish I was in a room full of brothers and sisters. I wish I could hear your amens. I wish I could hear the pages of your Bibles turn. I, I wish that I could uh, come back down off the platform and stand among you, stand beside you, and lift my voice together in unison and in harmony and sing the praises of Jesus Christ. I am yearning to be in closer proximity with you. I know that many of you share that yearning as well. Listen to Paul's yearning here. In verse 7, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul says, it's right for me to, to, it's right for me to feel this way. Paul talks about his emotions. You know, there, there is an unhealthy way to think about emotions in our relationship with God or our relationships with one another. I once heard someone wisely say that emotions are wonderful passengers, but not good drivers. You, you want emotions in the car. You just don't want mo- emotions holding on to the steering wheel and having access to the gas pedal. You see, we, the, we, we have a faith that is based upon facts. There, there are certain truths that we believe, we place our faith in, and that then results in feelings. Now, some Christians only emphasize the facts and, and the faith, and they negate feelings, as though feelings are unimportant. Listen, feelings are important. Paul says it is right. It is right for him to feel, to have emotion, to have, to have a feelings well up inside of him about God and about his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. He says, I hold you in my heart. He loves these people. He, he has them on his mind. He says, I, I thank God and all my remembrance of you. They're on his mind, but they're also in his 
heart. He loves them. He says, you're all partakers with me in grace. That, that same root word is koinonia. Again, this idea that we share together in grace, in this fact that God, this fact that God does not treat us the way we deserve to be treated because of our sin, but that he has sent his son to suffer and die for us, that we share this together. And then he talks about the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He talks about his imprisonment. The church at Philippi had been faithful to him in thick and in thin, good times and bad times. They had been faithful. They had continued to share with him, to have fellowship with him, to sympathize with him, to support him, even when he was going through the difficulty that he was going through. Loved ones, we need to do that for one another. For some of us, life is just going on as it normally would in light of COVID-19. For, for others of us, it is harder than ever. And so we need to be supporting one another and caring for one another in this time, sharing with one another these burdens that other believers are, are carrying. And then he says, I yearn for you with all the affection. He said, I long, I long for you. That word affection actually means intestines. It's, it's sort of a, a weird way of, of, of thinking about emotions, but, but that was sort of the, the Greco-Roman Hebrew way of thinking about feelings. That's where you're feeling. You feel it in your gut. Butterflies in your stomach. He felt this love for them, but he understood it wasn't just his love. It wasn't a love that was welling up just from the Apostle Paul. No, no, no. He says, it's, I, I yearn for you with the affection, with the love of Christ Jesus. Paul knew that the love that was inside him for the church of Philippi was not just his love. It was actually God's love that was flowing into Paul's life and then flowing out of him towards the believers at Philippi. And that's not how it needs to be for us. That we need to receive the love that God has given to us and embrace it and delight in it, the love of Jesus Christ, and then to love others with the love of Jesus Christ, to yearn for them. Notice how this whole passage centers around Jesus. And go back to verse 1. They're servants of Christ. They are saints in Christ. Grace and peace come from Christ Jesus. He, we're being prepared for the day of Christ, verse 6. And then now, verse 8, the love of Christ. And so, as we think about how we can live with joy, we've got to think about thankfulness. We've got to think about confidence in God's work in our lives. And we've, we've got to think about loving one another with this yearning, with this affection that God loves us with. You see, we're longing to be back together as a church family. Listen, God is longing for us to be with him in heaven for eternity. That longing that we share to, to be together, that is a longing that we also share with God. He longs to be with us. He's present here with us now. He's present with you wherever you're watching this right now. He's present with, with me right now. But there is also a longing in God's heart for us to be in the new heavens and the new Earth, for him to wipe away every tear from our eyes, for the dwelling place of God to be among men. This is the incredible love that God has for us. 
And so as we, as we reflect on these truths, let's, let's pray together. Let's pray that we would have hearts that are filled with joy, hearts that are thankful, hearts that are confident, and hearts that are yearning, yearning for more of God's love and yearning to show that love to other followers of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a people who have joy inside. That we would be a people that understand the necessity of fellowship. And Lord, that even as it's difficult being physically separate from one another, that we would, that we would live out this gospel partnership with one another, even now, Lord. And God, that you would fill us with a sense of assurance and a sense of confidence, Lord, that you started the work in us and that you will carry it to completion. And Lord, fill us with your love, the love of Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to love other brothers and sisters. Lord, help us also to love this broken world. God, we receive your love. We want to be used by you to share your love. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.